Flashy, flashy. <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. I'm the Duchess. I'm the Duke. And we are here tonight talking about Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear. Yeah, we are. Episode 20. <laughs> we made it 20, 20 episodes. We've done this 20 times. That's right. I, I think l- we're getting pretty good. We're doing all right. We're doing okay. So do you want to tell them about our spoiler policy? Yes, the spoiler policy is quite simple. It is this. Liz has read the books several times. I have not read the books. We will not spoil anything through Chapter 77 of The Wise Man's Fear. Nothing from the novella or the short story or anything outside of uh, these two items. Uh, That's pretty much it. So here we are, uh, episode 20, and we are talking about chapters 70 through 77. And what are we going to talk about next time? Next time, we are going to talk about chapters 78 through 86, pages the, 523 through 575. That's right. If you're my book. <laughs> so do you want to kind of go over what we talked about last week? Yeah, absolutely. So last week was an interesting little section that we had uh, this is after we had been in Severin for a while, but we had an opportunity to really kind of delve into what was wrong with Mayor Alvaron. We were able to figure out and and really kind of resolve the issues around his poisoning. And Mayor Alvaron came to believe that Quoth was, in fact, correct. They attempted to arrest Cauticus, but Cauticus fled. And then after that occurred and Quoth was in the mayor's good graces, he was able to meet with Lady Lackless and assist Mayor Alvaron in attempting to woo her, which was successful. And then we also had a lot of stuff with Denna. She was wooed, man. It was a lot of wooing. It was a lot on. of wooing. A whole lot of wooing. So in this section that we're going to talk about today, we have Quoth and Denna. They have a tempestuous little relationship arc. And uh, we, we learned some things about Denna, and she and Quoth get closer, but they wind up having a big fight. Um, and then Quoth gets sent off on a fool's errand. And we have a quick little interlude in the present where Bast tries to open the thrice-locked chest. So some very kind of interesting things. It doesn't really f- fall into a, a tidy little narrative arc for us this week. No. But still some interesting developments happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what was your overall impression of this section of chapters that we did? Well, it does. It did seem like sort of a um, kind of a bridging of two different things. So it's a transitional section, kind of wrapping up what was going on in Severin, and then really kind of getting us into the next chapter. So it felt like a door from one area of the story into another area of the story. And so it was interesting to start the section in one area and end the section somewhere completely different with a bunch of different characters that I certainly didn't expect was going to happen. So it was interesting and exciting from that standpoint. And then obviously the stuff with Denna was interesting and perplexing. Like I still don't know what to think of a lot of the stuff that happened with Denna. Yeah, and I I just can't wait to hear some of your thoughts. I've been waiting and waiting. So shall we just dive into it? Let's do it. Let's All make right. it. Ha- oh, I have um, I have one announcement. So we're gonna do. We're gonna have some some different stuff at the end here. Some 
some new bonus things that I've thrown in there just for funsy. So we are. So stick around to the end. Make sure you stay to the whole thing. I like surprises. Okay, so chapter seventy is called clinging. And um, in this one, Quoth gets a note from Denna and goes to a late meeting with her. And Quoth then sneaks her into the mayor's garden and gets so close, so close, but no cigar. Yeah, he was right. <laughs> he was right there, wasn't he? He was right there. Even he wasn't missing the signals for once. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I took a surprising amount of notes in this chapter because when I read it the first time, it seemed pretty straightforward. Not really a whole lot to discuss. But when I went back and I reread it, I found that there were some some things that, you know, were, were kind of interesting and, and some points that I feel like we need to go over. Right. You know, I have found myself, especially this time through and, and reading these chapters more slowly, asking myself, What's the purpose of this chapter? Why why did Patrick Rothfuss put this chapter here? Because I really feel like his writing isn't just, oh, and then maybe this happens and then maybe that happens. It doesn't meander. It fe- it feels very purposeful. I could be totally wrong in this. But um so I feel like, you know, the fact that we have a couple of chapters where we learn more about Denna than we've ever learned is a purposeful thing. And that that her and both kind of take their relationship to the next level um, is, is, is a purposeful part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to kind of get into your, your notes or the different things? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of what I wrote was, so in my mind, what this chapter is about telling us some stuff about Denna, you know, because Denna in this chapter gets more vulnerable with Quoth than we've ever seen before. And then he's kind of ever seen before when she's sober. Uh, we know that mm-hmm. she got vulnerable with him when she was on the dinner resin, but she doesn't remember any of that. So I kind of just jot- started jotting down a list and going through their dialogue. What did we learn about Denna in this chapter? Um, and some of it was stuff we already knew, but some of it wasn't. So I jotted down that she doesn't take root easily. She thinks that Quoth treats her better than she deserves. And this made me wonder, um, is this low self-esteem or does she have a guilty conscience? You know, we've also been highly critical of Quoth and his reluctance, for lack of a better word, of being straightforward with Denna and taking a little bit more risks. And she goes on to talk uh, quite some length about how she tells him, you know, you're right there to catch me, but you don't presume. You don't keep your hands there. And so I wrote down the note, perhaps all this super reluctant or, or overly shy courting of her Maybe it wasn't a mistake. You know, maybe it was it was the right way for him to approach it. Of course, at the end of the sec- section, you know, it seems like uh, their relationship may be in some serious jeopardy. So we'll see whether it equates to anything or not. Right. I mean, it's, fin- it's interesting that you brought that up because the next thing I had jotted down was this quote. Um, and it's from page 473. She says, there are so many men all endlessly attempting to sweep me off my feet. And there is one of you trying just the opposite, making sure my feet are firm beneath me lest I fall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it definitely, for me, this humanizes Denna a little bit, the, especially all, all the, the stuff we learn about her in these couple of chapters. Like, maybe she is just as unsure of herself as Quoth is, and maybe she really does think that 
he's kind of beyond her or out of her league. I also have jotted down that uh, she doesn't think any less of someone who low-key lies to her, you know, because we find out that the whole time she has thought that Quoth was exaggerating about working for the mayor and didn't think any less of him and that she likes things better if she thinks they are off limits. Hmm. So what you just said about, you know, maybe him play almost seeming hard to get may have been the best way to get actually get in with her. Yeah. So it may, he may have had, may have been doing the right thing all along and we weren't giving him credit for it. So there's a handful of other notes that I have in here. So the first thing I noticed is that this is the second time that we mentioned Denna with a braid in her hair since she's been in Severin. And the first was one where she had one and she kind of hastily undid it when she saw Quoth. This one, I think she was sort of nervously making a braid. But throughout this section, there's been several other mentions of it. And I went back and I tried to look for other instances of her doing it. And to my knowledge, the only time she's been doing this has been since she's been in Severin. So I went back and I did a little bit of research in the only in the chapters we've read. So none of this is, you know, from further in the books or anything. And I have a, some speculation here. Where she was in or where Denna stated that she was going prior to Severin was Yill. Right. And the Yillish use knots and braids to communicate. Mm-hmm. Now, also, the place she was going before she eventually settled back into Imre was also Yill. And so I'm beginning to speculate, is she, is she Yillish? Is, she, is that where she's from? Or is she attempting to be, is one of her alter egos somebody who's Yillish? Or are the braids some way of communicating with people? I'm thinking that the braids are not, you know, they're not a fashion choice. I'm thinking that the braids are something deliberate and that she's using them to communicate to somebody in Severin. I think that that is a very astute observation, and I am incredibly impressed. Plus two points. Thank you. Hold on. For you. High five. Come here. You are not the first person to um, have a similar speculation about that. Hmm. Okay. So, well, good on you. All right. Okay. Another thing is that I question in here, because she did not believe that Quoth was in the estates and working for Mayor Alvaron, does that mean that her and Master Ash slash Braden aren't really communicating? Why? Um... Well, so it's one of two things. Okay, so she she either is lying about not knowing that he worked for Alvaron, or Braden's not telling her. I mean, so we're first we're operating with the assumption that Brayden is Master Ash. True. Yes, I'm. Um, I'm absolutely going on that assumption until I, until something tells me otherwise. If he was so, I don't think it would be beyond belief that he wouldn't tell her. No, me, me either. It, it could very well be that he, you know, he's telling her to do this, do that. He's got his own things going on around Quoth that he may not. It, it, it's crossed my mind in this section. There are a few other things that pop up that he may not even be aware that Quoth and Denna are meeting or have any kind of relationship. It's either that or that Denna's lying. 
or that that Brayden has asked her to spy on him without telling her that oh he knows him he he's in the because Denna we find out later if it is Brayden doesn't know that he's part of the court or like where he is in the court or anything yeah. like that you know so you know and and we know that Master Ash is nothing but secretive yeah with her mm-hmm. so it could also be that he completely knows and just isn't telling her it, uh, yeah I mean yeah. that's kind of what I would think yeah so I guess my point because part of the reason why this was a, a note that I needed to raise is in the last section I was saying over and over again every time you go down to Severin Low, she happens to be around because she and Brayden are somehow communicating you know that that they're talking they're actively communicating and and this shows that that does not appear to be the case right yeah i think that'd be a fair assumption yeah unless she's just outright lying to him which i don't believe is the case a couple of other things popped out to me this one might be a little bit tinfoily but it seemed to me that when they were in the gardens and you know mayor alberon and lady lackless cock block quoth and it seemed to me that she knew right where to go and hide and be hidden. And it caused me to think she's been here before. Now, it's hard to say that because we don't really have a great sense of what the gardens are like. Perhaps where she went was just a super obvious place to go. Right. Um, But it sort of struck me that maybe she's been there before. That would be interesting. Yeah, the other thing that that crossed my mind is that when she had the opportunity to meet Mayor Alberon, she said no, she wasn't interested. And she kind of looked down. She was sort of like hit her eyes and looked down. And it caused me to think, why does she not want to meet Mayor Alberon? Is there some reason there? Is mm. it is it simply, because it was after that that she said, no, actually it was significantly later that she said it was more fun when I when it wasn't allowed. Right. So it wasn't immediately after. It was several minutes later that she said that. So it was just sort of strange to me. Why would she not want to meet him? She was like, no, that's okay, and 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 really seemed standoffish to the idea. No further speculation to that. Again, it could be nothing at all, but something to put a pin in. I, I mean, she also, in a few chapters, turns down the opportunity to have Mayor Oliveron as her as her patron. You know, ostensibly because she doesn't want anything handed to her and she wants a patron that she's earned herself. And there's more things I'm going to talk about about that. But, you know, if you're tinfoily, if there's anything to the your tinfoily idea, that would be another interesting facet to it. Hmm. Yeah, good point. Keep rolling. Well, that's it for 70. That's a lot lot of tinfoil for what was... That's a lot of tinfoil. Really a pretty... Short chapter. (laughs) So um, chapter 71 is called The Thrice Locked Chest. And it's an interlude uh, where back in the present, the mayor comes in and interrupts the story. And Quoth and Bast have sort of... This is a different mayor. A different mayor. The mayor. How do you differentiate sound-wise? I don't think you do. I think they're both mayor. They're just spelled differently. How is John Mayer spelled? M-A-Y-E-R. Ugh. So we can't even call one of them John Can Mayer. we tell the John Mayer story? No. Okay. <laughs> Damn. It's no. a good one. It's a good one. The mayor, not John Mayer, nor Mayor Alvaron, uh, but the mayor, M-A-Y-E-R, comes in, M-A-Y-O-R, Christ 
Spidey. God. <laughs> we got it. Just oh, go with it. <laughs> all right, I'm going. I'm going. You all know who I mean. Interrupts the story. Quoth and Bast have an impromptu lesson regarding the thrice lock chest. Yeah. Can't so, open that damn chest. So once again, I found myself asking, what's the purpose of this? This sort of seemingly uh, pointless little scene here. But for me, what what stuck jumped out Please was... Please enlighten me. So, so far in the flashback, we've had this run of like everything coming up quoth, okay? Like thing after thing is just falling into place from, you know, Stapes just happening to walk by with that dead bird in his hand and saving his bacon till now, like, you know, the second most powerful man in Vint is owes both his life he's flush in money he's got he almost kissed denna by he came within like a centimeter of it i mean things are going great and then we have this scene in the present that reminds us that not it's not going to turn out we needed to come back to the present Mm. for a minute so you remember it didn't turn out for him it didn't turn out for him and denna He's and what I th- found myself thinking um, as Bast is trying to open the chest is that at some point he's um, he turns to to Kvothe and says, "I suppose asking you for the key is out of the question." And Kvothe says, "Imagine for the purposes of this lesson that I've lost the key and I can't get into it myself." And I thought, I wonder if he can't. Ooh. I wonder if there's something important in that chest. And for whatever power, whatever's gone on with him, whatever powers he has lost, he can no longer get into it. Hmm, wow. He did remark on, hey, remember when we brought it in here? I guess that doesn't, he may have had it hidden somewhere or sourced it somewhere. I guess that doesn't mean that he didn't just assemble it, you know, a year ago. Right, no, my impression was that he made it in the height of his power, he made it to protect something important because um, obviously he made it so that a, a powerful fae can't get into it. Yeah. And now it possibly has lost the ability to get into whatever whatever he put in there. Yeah. And has just been carting it around. The, yeah, it could be. The only sort of things I took from it are that the thrice lock chest is also without hinge, mm-hmm. although it is not without lock. Mm-hmm. And it's just another reminder of his relationship with the Fae. And as we talked about last time, uh, Ventus is close to where the Fae come from, or what we believe is where the Fae come from. So it's just sort of a hint to me that we are going to spend more time in this area and have more adventures in this area. That's really about all I could take from it. Other than that, it seems sort of out of place with the rest of the section. Right, and that's why for me it got just that's what really got me started thinking about what was the purpose of all these chapters. Cuz then we kind of jump back in in chapter 72 which is called Horses and we get a lot deeper into Denna's story. Yeah. So, um in this chapter, Quoth follows Denna to what he thinks is going to be a clandestine meeting with her patron, but actually she is Batman. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) There is there is no Master Ash. It's (laughs) it's been her. um, Now, of course, I draw a blank. It's been her Alfred the whole time, (laughs) right? right. (laughs) And she's really the rich one. (laughs) So Dennis going around and kicking some alley scum's butt 
and uh, saving saving young girls from a, a fate worse than death. So he follows her. He finds her in an alley. He, um, he thinks she's been attacked, but it turns out that she was another young girl was attacked and she scares off the attacker and then takes the girl and has a quick counseling session with her and kind of lays out the way the world is. So we don't ever learn this girl's name or what was going on with her, but we gather that she followed some rich Lord away mm-hmm. from her family's home he got tired of her and put her by the wayside. And now Dennis trying to help her pick up the pieces. And we get a very um, clear glimpse into what Denna's world looks like and what her worldview is, you know? And um, she, she's, she tells this young girl things like it's better to be a fancy horse than a plow horse, mm-hmm. you know, but eventually every horse gets ridden. And the only way to avoid that is to, Take what you're given and then leave quick and quiet and never come back and burn every bridge behind you. And that's a price that you pay. Um, And one quote that I wrote down that stuck out to me was, what do you want more than anything else? And what would you what do you want so badly that you'll pay anything to get it? And I think that's just one of the most revealing quotes um, as far as Donna's character that I've read so far. Yeah, this was definitely a very revealing chapter in terms of Dennis' character. And I, I think it speaks to something that we talked a little bit about back in Traven during those times where when she was just beginning to get doped up and they discovered that I found all this dinner resin and quote is like, we can make a lot of money off this. And she's like, I don't want to sell dinner. You right. know, like, and at that point we were, you know, we were just coming around, or I was just coming around. You were firmly in the camp of she's a terrible human being. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, she she does have some redeeming quality. She's not a bad person, you know. And we get to see a, a little glimpse of this here. Of course, I can't help because of where I am and I'm just in this tinfoily mode of thinking, is you know, is there more to this than what we see here? But it's also sort of out of the blue, that I really don't know what to think. When I talked about this section being puzzling, this is the chapter I referenced. Like, this is a very puzzling chapter to me. The Dennis Batman chapter. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a strange chapter to me. Uh, it, it is, and particularly if you've kind of been going along that train of thought that she's here to spy on Quoth, she's a, a tool of the Chandrian, possibly, to see her with her own kind of motivations. And it... For me, this is a chapter that I thought Denna is sort of the 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 female counterpart to Quoth in that yeah. it seems like she's got a quest of of some kind going on of her own, similar to Quoth's quest to uh, find the Chandrian. She's got some big major thing that she's like a life goal that we yeah. know nothing about. Agreed. And it definitely paints her character in a different light, you know, to where... You know, I don't even think of Denna as like a terrible person, though I think she's highly selfish um, and probably focused on whatever her her objective is to the point that she doesn't care who she hurts. But mostly I just find her frustrating because yeah. and we've we've kind of beat this topic to death. But it, I, for me, it's really it, it's really hits hits the nail on the head to say that denna acts like both but we don't get any of her internal monologue or backstory so it just comes off as insufferable 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we yeah we've gone down the road, so we won't continue to go down it too far. But th- uh, there were a couple of things that, in particular, that sort of caught me. So he's following her. He thinks he's going for you know he th- he thinks she's going for a meeting with Master Ash. He ends up following her. He says for a half an hour before she walks past an alley, and it's as though she hears something. Like she's walking with a purpose. What I don't know was, was she walking somewhere else and just happened to hear this? It's not the way I took it. It took it to me like she knew where she was going. I think she was patrolling. She's a vampire slayer. Mm -hmm, Maybe, maybe. (laughs) But yeah, so she goes into this alley as though she knew this was going to happen. But but something like this wasn't going on for a half an hour. Like, you know what I mean? It's just strange that she would, you know, have been walking around for a half an hour to arrive at this alley to rescue this girl. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is that she has freaky good hearing. It just heard something, you know, that she was on her way somewhere else and heard something. I don't know what it was, but... But I just found it strange, and that was it. Sort of set it up in a strange way for me, because I was like, "What does that mean? Like, what does it mean? Is she? Like you say, is she Batman?" <laughs> no, I mean, and and you know, another point there is that Denna was dressed for a fight. We've only ever seen her in dresses, even kind of simple dresses, ga- but gowns or dresses of some kind. And in this, she's wearing a shirt and pants with a knife strapped to her leg. Like, she was ready. Yeah, and, and the next time we see her, she's dressed in a very fancy right. way again, yeah. No, I, you know, I, I my impression is that she was out patrolling or maybe woke up in a mood and went out looking for a scumbag to... And just knew if she, yeah, if she wandered in these alleys... she'd find alleys, one eventually. She'd find somebody. Could be. That could be. So that was So that was one thing... So the other part was she gives the she gives the woman three alternatives. She says, one, you can apprentice up. We can get you, you know, teach you some sort of trade. Two, we can send you home. Or three, you can become a fancy whore, essentially. You know, and then you'll want men to court you and send you gifts rather than, you know, than paying for you. This is an obvious allusion to what we see happening with denna right it's a very obvious illusion and but what does it mean you know so she says every horse gets ridden but she doesn't get ridden or does she or more likely is she the one burning bridges behind her and leaving in the middle of the night oh yeah because that's that's what we see her doing Right. right so we're clearly meant to ponder this and to question does denna see herself as a fancy whore yeah i think so all right, so we're clearly meant to relate this to her. And it kind of it kind of goes into the next chapter for me. And so we'll stop there and 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 let you kind of preface chapter 73, but but together these sort of kind of puzzle me. Right. So chapter 73 is called Blood and Ink. And really the the only thing that happens is that both and Denna have a fight. They have a big fight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I took a lot of notes in this chapter, but from right. from, a, from a narrative standpoint, that is what happens. Right. So I just absolutely loved the writing in the first part of this chapter where he's talking about secrets. And again, 
this is where Patrick Rothfuss really shines and that he is able to to boil down some very deep truths about humanity and just put them out there so beautifully. Um, and especially about the psychology of, of, of what someone goes through when they've experienced a trauma like both has. And I think he just puts it out here in such a lovely way. And he talks about secrets being called painful treasures of the mind, um, that they're not the same as, as gossip, but they're knowledge actively concealed. Well, that's a secret of the heart. So he... No, that's secrets. And okay. then mm-hmm. and then he says that secrets of the mouth are secrets that long to be let loose into the world. They grow larger the longer you hold them. Um, and that secrets of the heart are private and painful, but the longer they're kept, the heavier they become until they crush your heart. And, and this quote, better to have a mouthful of poison than a secret of the heart. And so we know that Quoth has a secret of the heart. And then he puts this whole uh, kind of bit of prose out there as a preface to the chapter. It's such a good way to go into this fight that they have where Quoth could have cleared up uh, this misunderstanding by telling Denna what happened to him as a child. But instead, he just lets her get angry and and says ugly things. And then he says ugly things. But you kind of understand that because you've just had this whole spiel about it. So Quoth and Denna go, Denna goes to play him a song that she has written. And it's the first full song she's written. She's very nervous. She's wearing like a really sexy blue dress. And it's a really good song. But it's a song about Lanray. And she writes it from the perspective that Lanray is a hero. And Quoth is just like mind boggled. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's like she had, had written a song praising, you know, Goebbels or or Hitler. and mm-hmm. or, or wrote a song about Bruce Springsteen and said he was a horrible human being. And come on, we all know that's not true. I don't want to bring Springsteen into this, but <laughs> complicated feelings about him. But... um. <laughs> But so, yeah, so Quoth is just gobsmacked. I mean, he just, he's like, there's a hot chick and singing and there's a harp and it's very erotic. But then she's like singing about the guy that's responsible for killing his parents, you know, and and um, and he just he doesn't even know what to do. And then, you know, when he doesn't respond appropriately and, you know, kind of says, hey, you know, I don't think Lon Ray was a hero. I Some people say he turned into to one of the Chandrian and then they just go at it. And we see these two characters just really get nasty and she rags on his shirts and he tells her she's stupid and mm-hmm. it all just comes it out. It devolves into a teenage fight. It does. And all their defects, like all their insecurities just boil over. Yep. You know, and she thinks he's trying to control her. She thinks, yeah, he's trying to fix her, and um, that's what she's always not wanted. And um, yeah, it just it goes nuts. It does. It does. So the opening of the chapter actually was remarkable to me for what it didn't say. What's that? So you know, we ended chapter seventy-two with all of these pieces of evidence that you know Denna is a prostitute or would lead you to to go that direction. And it never comes out in any of his internal dialogue. If this was a typical, like, teenage boy following his girlfriend, and then he finds, you know, and this is what he finds out, there would be so much angst, so much angst. We'd have a montage. Walls would be punched. There'd be so many feels. But we don't. We don't get that. Quote just rolls right on. The next day I met Dennis. She looked great. And 
to me, that's I'm taking that as sort of a character thing that Quoth is either one not judging her on the basis of what he sees. He's saying, I don't know, I heard what this girl was. That doesn't mean anything about Denna. Or he doesn't really care. I think it's a combination of both, you mm. know, and Quoth has known the way that Denna survives. You know, he knows she survives by gifts from suitors, yeah. you know, and she kind of floats through and then, you know, once they get too handsy with her, she leaves. So that wasn't really new knowledge to him. No, correct. Yeah. You know, she was um, just very explicit about it. She was. And the fact that she sort of sees herself that way and the fact that she's going around spending her money doing these things to help other girls not wind up the way that she is, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's what's interesting to me and correct me if I'm wrong, but we, did we ever find out what the girl decided to do? Uh, I don't believe so. Did she decide to go be a fancy whore? I don't remember. I don't remember. Because there were, she was giving her the option to go back to her home or to learn a trade or to, you know, to be a fancy whore. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. I mean, I was like, like Quoth was gobsmacked by the song. I was gobsmacked by Denna. And one of the things, and I know we're in the next chapter, but I should have brought it up last chapter. But one of the things that really struck me in that chapter was the way Denna speaks in that chapter is very different. You know, it's, you know, when she's talking with Quoth, it's very kind of quippy and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and civil and frivolous but, you know, there she was like, she sounded like Starbuck on, you know, on Battlescar to Galactica. Let's get down to brass tacks. Come on, girl. You know, you silly bent. You know, like, right. No, it, she was very direct. Was she was very, very yeah. ab- you know, brusque. There very was no different Denna. witticisms or anything like that. No. So it was, it was so different to me that I was in the beginning of this chapter, I was still kind of reeling from it. Like what is going on? Right. You know? Um, but then we get into, to this giant fight that they have. Right. And again, the whole thing happens in the shadow of a gray stone. So we know, always know that, that significant things always seem to happen. There's a lot of little symbolism symbols in this section. So the gray stone being the first one I noted. And we know that, this is one of the pivotal moments of the story. Even though the immediate backlash is only, okay, they get in a fight. We don't know what's going to be the outcome. But Kvothe at some point says, I can't help but feel that if I'd said the right thing at that moment, everything would have turned out differently. But even now, after years of thinking, I can't imagine what I could have said that might have made things right. And this is right after he has, you know, not praised her song. Yeah. So we know that like, this is one of apparently one of the points on which the story turns and this is where it starts to go bad. Yeah. At least the, so, where the, where he sees it. It's not bad. going to be like a passing, a passing storm. This is something that's going to have lasting effects in the story. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple, a couple of things I noticed. So the graystone was one thing I noted in terms of just a common symbol or thing that we see every time we have a moment of importance, uh, once again, she shows up with braids in her hair. And Good job catching the braids. Thank you. And then when, when the fight kind of really turns, when she's like finally fed up with him and she's like, you're just like all the others, she takes the braids out and rebraids them in a different position. Yes. And it was like a very deliberate thing that she did which is where I thought it, it means something like these braids mean something. 
They're not fashion choices. They're symbols or signals or something like that. So the other thing is that she talks a lot about how Master Ash was involved in the process. He led her to the book and to the idea of using this as a story. And I'm thinking, okay, so th- so this is something, that, you know, Master Ash deliberately wanted her to sing this song. A- and helped her research it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a story that Master Ash wanted told, you know, and led her, led her to, you know, the scraps of evidence that she used to put it all together. Now, so the last song we knew about Lan Ray, we heard about Lan Ray, was the song that, quoth Arladen's father put together. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and I read them both and kind of read one, read the other, and they're somewhat similar. Interesting. Now, with the exception that Denna uses, you know, drops in a few fair, proud, and kind of positive adjectives right. to kind of twist Lanray. But, you know, what what we see written out, you know, you take a couple of those positive adjectives out, they look identical. Mm. You know, they look very similar. And Quoth's whole troop got killed for that. Mm-hmm. We know that Master Ash showed up at this wedding where the Chandrian showed up. Is this guy trying to get the Chandrian to show up? Oh, that is a really interesting thought. And there's something else that showed that talks about later that leads me to go further down that road. You know, is is this a piece of is this bait? Is he willing to use Denna for bait? I don't know. I mean, we know that that the um the reason the Chandrian were able to attack Quoth's troop was that his parents used their names um over and over. And it yeah. was kind of like a beacon, you know. Mm-hmm. And well, I didn't know that, but okay. Yes, that's definitely been said. Okay, I believe you. I just oh, okay. didn't remember. Yeah. Okay, I don't think I spoiled that. I'm pretty sure that's no. Been said. <laughs> no I think you're good. And we know well, that well, Denna is not Denna's song does not veer towards the Chandrian at all because when Quoth says, you know, some people say that Lanray turned into one of the Chandrian, she's like, what? Good, okay, good point. Um, so she's not singing about the Chandrian. She's singing about Lan, right? Okay, good point. there's no doubt in my mind that her patron wants this song, has something to do with either the Amir or the Chandrian, is is doing something here. It's not just, oh, he he wants to support this musician and he wants her to have a really good song. No. And my thought was, is he does he even do this to egg quote on? Yeah, I, you know, that was my next point. So... So my first one is he trying to bait the Chandrian. Right. But you're right that the Chandrians are never mentioned. I don't remember if they are specifically in the verse that Arlidan wrote. You brought up the idea of them using their names. Well, Quoth's mother does not use her real name. Mm-hmm. We don't know about Arlidan, but we would assume it is the real name. And we, we're pretty confident that Denna is not Denna's real name. Right. So maybe she wouldn't be able to be found. Master Ash is clearly not his name. So maybe he does feel like he's got some assurance there. But the other part I thought was, like you said, I thought, did he put this out there to drive a wedge between the two of them? Does he know about the two of them? Is he not, maybe not really, does he not really want her to spy on him? Is this something different that's going on here that we don't quite see? Is he, you know, happened to be in the same places and, 
now Master Ash is, is seeing that this guy is kind of following the Chandrian and the Amers, and I was interested in him, but he doesn't really want Denna involved with this guy because Denna is one of the few people who know him and who can identify him. So maybe he doesn't want the two of them to be together. He realizes, quote, the smart and doesn't, and as we've said, how could he not make the connection? Well, he hasn't made the connection. So is this an attempt for him to drive the two of them apart? If it is, it's kind of a long con. Well, yeah, because we know that Denna has been collecting information for this song for a long time and has yeah. traveled extensively to do that. Yeah. You know, um, my thought is if, if Master Ash is an agent of the Chandrian, then they have some reason for wanting misinformation about Lanray to be spread. True. You know, and, and they're all about the secrecy and covering things up. So that would kind of make sense to me as well. Yeah, and you know we we know that the Amir have kind of the order Amir, this human component, but there's no reason to believe that the Chandrian don't have something similar, right? And we've talked about that. It's right. been quite a long time since we talked about it, but so this guy could not be part of the order Amir. He could be, like you said, working for the Chandrian to deliberately obfuscate and hide information, right? So. Oh, my goodness. Lots of interesting stuff. Um, I liked also that she said she feels like he might be trying to invent a heroic ancestor for himself. Mm-hmm. I don't quite know exactly what that means, but but that was one I wanted to put a pin in. Let's right. And see. we know that he is very into. So he he fancies himself a historian. We also learn that Dennis patron has something she wants. He knows things that she wants to know, you know, because when Quoth uh, tries to convince her to accept Mayor Alvaron as a patron, she says, I I don't need the name. I'm not after the money. She said, he knows things that I need. Yeah. And he gives me other things. Yeah. Beyond the money. You you know, and she was drawing symbols on the table when she was pumping the boys for information at the Aeolian, which, you know, I, I thought was something arcane in some way mm-hmm. that she might be learning or trying to use. It's, it crosses my mind that a braid and like a drawing on paper might look similar. You know, maybe she's using some sort of symbology, you know, some something well, arcane. And didn't she ask the boys at one point, is there some kind of magic where you can write something down on paper and it comes true and whatever you write happens? And they were like, no, that's crazy. And she was like, okay, I didn't think that's how. And then she misdirected them somehow. Yeah. And then there's this mysterious patron that has knowledge that she says that she wants. Yeah. Could it be that he's telling her something like that exists and she's trying to check it, you know, with who she thinks might be the most knowledgeable about it? That's what it seems like to me. Yeah. So who knows? She's got some kind of voodoo going on. Clearly. yeah. And I definitely think there's something arcane up to that. The only other note I had on this is that, I mean, Quoth is dumbfounded, like you said. Denna gets angry. It takes Quoth a little while to get angry, but when he does, he blows up. And it's like three sentences in that he has to bite his tongue from calling her a whore. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's the unresolved feelings about what he saw, his conflicted feelings about what he saw the night before coming out. He went right there. Yeah. So it doesn't start that way, but that's kind of how it ends. Right. And, and it was, you know, as much as I find Denna annoying and you would think that the prospect of her being out of Quill's life would be a good thing, you know, it still is heartbreaking to read. And I, I felt sad for him. Yeah, it just sort of, 
this was the section where I started to think, okay, I still think Braden's Master Ash. I still think he's working for the Chandrian or the Amir. I still think he's using Denna to spy. But perhaps the communication, perhaps it's not as deliberate as we think it is. Right. At least on her part. Right. You know, that um, that she she's maybe, she may not realize the degree to which she's being played by him and she's not deliberately giving information back to Master Ash about Quoth. Right. And what's interesting is that at some point, Quoth straight out asks her if Master Ash knows about him. And she says, oh, no, I never tell him about you. Yeah. You're, you know, I, I keep you to myself. He doesn't have the right to know everything about my private life. Yeah. So that was a pretty smooth lie if indeed she is spying on him for Master Ash. Yeah. Yeah. And we still don't, we still don't know. We still don't know if if it's a, because as I said early in this section, she's either lying, or, or the relation or that act of spying thing isn't going on the way we think it is. Right. It's hard hard to say which one it is. All right. So chapter seventy four is called rumors. Should be called hungover. <laughs> so poor Quoth is yeah nursing a wicked hangover. One thing I noted. Um, is that it's the chapter starts off by we, us finding out that Braden is away from the estate. It's kind of yeah. mentioned. Yeah, right at the top. Right. And so Quoth is just sort of kicking around his rooms. He um, he learns some gossip that is significant, although he doesn't realize it's significant. And then uh, all in a flurry, he gets sent out to hunt bandits. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, What? Like, so let's start with Quoth is, uh, he's sitting in his room, he's in a second bottle of wine, he decides to start reading all of these letters that people have been sending him because it's been put about that he's a gossip collector and that he's writing a book of, like, unsavory stories about nobles. So people keep sending him all these tidbits. Yeah, yeah. So there were two that that I noted were significant. And we'll start with the one that happens first chronologically, which is that we find out that there's a Natalia Lackless, who we believe is Meloan Lackless's older sister, who was the heir to the Lackless fortune, who ran off with some Edamaru ravel bastard. <laughs> and then, you know, eventually gave birth to Quoth. Yay! I've been waiting for you to figure it out. So we went through that whole thing, and I was like, "Let's play a game. Let's name all the female characters." There's only like eight of them in the whole in the whole series. But we named, <laughs> and I was like, "He's gonna figure it out." I'm just gonna be so impressed if he figures it out without even getting to the whole thing about Natalia Lackless. Well, and somebody told us about this. I got kind of tipped off about it. Um, I'd like to think that when I read this section, I would have picked up on it and been like, son of a bitch, you know? You totally would have. I think I would have, You totally yeah. would have. So, yeah, so, and now I'm like, what the hell? Like, so, <laughs> Meloan Lackless is his aunt. Is his aunt. We're pretty sure. We, yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean, we assume. It could just be a heck of a coincidence. But we know that Quoth's mother was a, a noble woman who ran off with um, mm-hmm. the Adam Maru and became a performer. We, and it's interesting to me now that Quoth never expressed any curiosity about which noble family he was a part of or which, you know, and he, he maybe doesn't know that he was nobility, but that he 
his mother's family had money um, or, or was well-to-do at least. Well, he... I went back and I read those early chapters. I read, you know, I think it's chapter like six, seven, when he starts to introduce his family. And he talks about his mother being from a noble family and having run off. And the only reference he says to any families, he said, you know, a couple times we went and visited some family over in this area, but it's a name that never pops up or comes up anywhere else. At least not that I see. And it's certainly not Vint and it's certainly not Lackless and it's it's nothing like that. So it seems like he doesn't really know where he came from. And then when you when when this came out, you know, you pointed out to me to go back and look at the song that Arladin the Bard gets in trouble for, or quote tells the story about him getting in trouble for and having to sleep under the wagon. And he puts the, he puts a line. The last line of the song is something that uh, it's like not, not not a homonym, but it's something that essentially sa- a series of words that sound like Natalia Lackless, you know. And I didn't catch when we were reading that section that he says his mother's name, and it's I think it's Lorian. Lorian, yeah, yeah. But in the song, Quoth's father calls her Tally. Right. And it comes off. I have it right here. Just to recap, Quoth and Will and Sim are drunk. They're telling stories. They're opening up to a little uh, to each other a little bit. And Quoth tells this story about the time that his, the only time that his mother made his father actually sleep under the wagon. And it's because he wrote a song about her. And the lyrics go... Dark Lorian, Arladin's wife, has a face like the blade of a knife, has a voice like a prickle brown burr, but can tally a sum like a money lender. My sweet tally cannot cook, but she keeps a tidy ledger book. For all her faults, I do confess, it's worth my life to make my wife not tally a lot less. So he calls her my sweet tally. Yeah. And um, that is the one song. And, and his friends say, oh, well, I get why that would get him in trouble. You know, they he said she has a face like a knife. And he said, no, no, they used to tease each other like that all the time. It's she hated the meter. Which is also rhyme. not what she hated. Exactly. So now we say, OK, well, if she is Natalia Lockless, you know, this was this was him working her real name into a song. And that's what made her so angry. So. Well, and so you, cleverly done. Mm, I love it. It's very cleverly done. And you asked me when we went through that section, so what did you think of, you know, the stories that Quoth tells and all this? And I was like, I don't know. You know like I, I, didn't have any, I didn't really have anything to say, you know. I'm a little disappointed in myself for not picking up on the fact that in the song, he calls her Tally. And then at the end, Quoth just says, Lorian. You know, and that I didn't catch that the two names were... You know, there was a different set of names. Right. You know, that incongruence should have caught my interest. I mean, like, wait a minute, why does he... Because Lorian and Talia, there's no way you call somebody Tally or Talia well, I think in the from song, the name Lorian. In the song, he's saying she can tally a sum like a moneylender. And so then he starts calling her Tally because she's tallying sums. And that's like a... In the song, I guess both would have assumed that that's just a nickname or kind of a teasing nickname, but now we know that probably that's what he called her. Yeah. So the other thing that's the other thing we need to consider in this is um, two other things from the very beginning of the book. Uh, the name, uh, the name of the wind, 
is Quoth says, or Quoth's mother at some point says, uh, I think to Ben, that he saved me from, you know, a miserable life. So she was not happy being the lackless heir. We don't know why, but she wasn't happy. The other thing, too, is it shines a light back on Quoth's mother saying, Lady Lackless is a real person, and kind of why she got upset about that. But the the bigger, the thing that's of, of more interest to me about that is that she doesn't take the opportunity to say to Quoth, you're related to the to Lady Lackless. Oh, right. Like, and she no, deliberately it, it wants to hide that. That's a very big secret, and she yeah, doesn't yeah. even like hearing that family name come from Quoth's lips, you know? So you have to wonder, does she not want him tied up with the Lacklesses because they are the Lucklesses and she's afraid that something horrible is going to befall him? And here he is in Vint, and I'm, I feel fairly confident he's going to get tied up with the Lackless family somehow. Like, this is not going to be the only run-in we have with Lady Lackless. You know, that is a very interesting point. And we've already noted about Quill's character is that, um, and, and Patrick Rothfuss said this on Twitter one time, that Quill doesn't even really need an enemy. Just give him 15 minutes alone and he'll just fuck up his own life. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's interesting to look at the Lackless family being known as the Luckless family and just kind of having these. <laughs> it's just interesting. I just wonder, yeah, yeah. you know, in my family, we have a joke about there being a curse that the curse in my family, at least on my dad's side, is that if it's possible for you to get caught doing something, you're going to get caught doing it. Mm-hmm. So, and that just seems to happen to us. So we, we try not to get caught, not to do anything that we wouldn't want to get caught. Cause doing, you get caught. Cause you'll get caught. But it's just interesting. You have these sort of informal family curses. And um, I had not thought about Quoth being under the, the lackless curse, but it's an interesting idea. I always thought it was more that she was disowned by her family and she was dead to them and she didn't want anything to do with them. Yeah. And it explains why Lady Lackless was so like visibly angered at a deep level about the about the Edamaru. Right. Because she views them as having maybe she doesn't want to be the heir to the Lackless fortune. And she's like, son of a bitch, I, I would have had a good life if Right. Tally hadn't ran off with that stinking rabble. Right. You know? I don't know. Yeah. But that was a very interesting revelation. That is interesting. So you said there were two things in the letters that yeah, stuck out. Yeah. So, so what the, was the other? So the other one was about Brayden. That Brayden has an estate to the north, which is near where the Lacklaces are, where he performs pagan rituals. And he says they're described in a great amount of detail which usually lends a little bit more credibility to the rumor when people are able to describe it in a great amount of detail. Now, we said earlier that, you know, was he writing this song as an attempt to summon, bait, woo the Chandrian, or to obfuscate the truth? But either way, now we have another piece of of rumor saying he's out there performing rituals. Is he attempting to summon the Chandra? Is he having meetings with metaphysical creatures? You know, is he summoning angels from the Amir? Like, what? 
is well, going on. And we know that the trouble with the bandits that's been going on is to the north. To the north, yes. All to the north. It's the White Walkers. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Don't bring a dragon to that fight. That that definitely... <laughs> I don't want to talk about the dragon. No, move on. We'll move on. Um, so that definitely stuck out to me as well. It's like, okay, Brayden is doing something that's creating rumors in his estate, which is in the north, which is where these bandits have been. And, and Mayor um, Alvaron says he suspects there might be something magical Yes, he afoot. does. Yes, he does. Now, so... The other thing that that happens in this little instance here before Mayor Alberon gets there is he says that Brayden is gone. Yes. So he ends this fight with Denna, and within hours, Brayden has left. Is that because he's been summoned because Denna's in a huge hissy fit? Is that because he suspects that Mayor Alberon's onto him and he's got to run up to his estate to clean shit up? Like... Is it just coincidental? But this is, you know, does that mean Denna is gone as well? Like, we, we don't know. These are just interesting things to ponder. The fact that it happens so quickly uh, leads me to believe that she's not with him. But it also says that he's not on the estate. Not that he's not in town, simply that he's not in Mayor Alvaron's estate. So what is he up to? I don't know. I think he's summoning the Chandrian. (laughs) He's like, some bitch just sang a song about you. (laughs) I heard it myself. (laughs) That's what I think he's doing. So so after all this is when Mayor Alberon comes in and he's, and quote says, so how to go with uh, your lady love, you know? And he's like, oh, it's great. We just signed the betrothal betrothal paperwork. You know, I think I have something for you to do out of town. (laughs) Far away. Right? <laughs> the ink is just dry. <laughs> Conveniently, I have something I need you to do. <laughs> you know, because I told you earlier I would give you lands and titles and estates, but now I've got this other problem. If you could just go up there and, I don't know, maybe get yourself killed, that would be fine by me. <laughs> exactly. And Porkvoth is so heartbroken and drunk. And drunk. And hungover that he's just like, oh, okay. I mean, not that he could have done a whole lot about it anyway. Exactly. I mean, what he could have done is he could have taken the bag of silver and left. Right. Which would have also been fine for a Mayor Alvaron, too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But at this point, Quoth is, is, he knows the mayor owes him a little bigger than that. So he's going to hang on there and try to find some bandits. And he's like, well, fine. I'll just find the motherfuckers, I guess. Yeah. so So the thing that crossed my mind at this point is I'm like, okay, so he's drunk and just kind of saying yes but i'm like i'm starting to think okay they're talking about taxes they're talking about robbing taxes and now he's got to go out and tax the people again so the king can get his taxes and i'm just thinking to myself quoth the edamaru the everyman do you really want to be the sheriff of nottingham do you want to be the guy who goes out and hunts robin hood do you want to be the guy who is the tax collector? Is that who you want to be? Because I don't think that's who he wants to be. So it seems to me that this Aaron to go out and tackle bandits who are, you know, and just, and Mayor Alvaron's like, just kill him. 
Like, no trial, just you find them, kill them. You know, children, women, I don't care, kill them. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, this just seems like, it just doesn't seem like Quoth. Well, that's an interesting perspective. The way that I read it, the bandits are not Robin Hood. These are not good guys. These are not guys who are redistributing wealth. These are guys who are keeping the money for themselves and causing the people to be then taxed more heavily. Yeah, and I didn't really mean to say that they were necessarily Robin Hood, but go, but go ahead, I cut you off. Right, so uh, the other part of that is that Quoth is an Edamaru. He grew up on the road under constant fear of bandits. Mm. And he, you know, his what's the equivalent of his senior thesis, you know, uh, back at the university was creating an arrow catch to keep travelers safe from bandits because that was a constant fear for him. So he's not, I don't know how many qualms he's going to have about if if he finds some bandits and yeah, these are bandits that are actually killing travelers and, and waylaying people. I don't see him having that hard of a time dispatching of them Hmm, or at least getting himself into a fight where he would then have to dispatch of them. I don't see him as coldly lining them up execution style and killing them. No, no, but I don't see that outside of his character. And he, I think what he says to mayor Alvaron safe roads are the bones of civilization. I think he really believes that. Yeah. I guess it just sort of gave me this sort of Robin hood image in my mind of, these bandits and maybe that's kind of where, why I went that direction. But later, right. later when we meet these guys and I'll bring it up now just cause it's germane to the conversation. You know, one of the guys says, yeah, we're going to go hunt down some rabble bandits. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, he's equating them with the Adamaru. And we know the Adamaru at least historically have been in that area. Is he saying that the bandits are Adamaru? I don't think we know that. Well, we're sure the bandits are not going to be Adamaru. Um, that's completely like antithesis of what the Edamaru lifestyle is about. Mm-hmm, true. So I mean, there might be people claiming to be Edamaru, but I don't. I don't I'm think sure, that would happen. Yeah, I'm sure that's just a mistake that the guy's just conflating his racism with his dislike of bandits. Right, and Quoth isn't a fighter, so I don't think he sees himself like he's going to go out with this band of mercenaries and help them find them. Maybe be able to use um, some of his skills as an arcanist to be able to do that, but I don't. He doesn't seem like he's intending to go out. He's he's not armed. No, not at all. You know, <laughs> not at he's, all. He doesn't even have a tinder box or salt or salt. But he goes back for his loot. I noticed that. Of course, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh crap! I don't have anything like to start a fire easily. Oh, but I got to go get my loot. Yeah, right. So that that's all I had for seventy four. Me too, as well. So, chapter 75, this is an interesting one for me. It's called Mm, The Players. And the reason it's interesting is that it's my least favorite (laughs) part of (laughs) it. Okay. So, so right here, Patrick Rothfuss just kind of does an exposition dump, like, that I've never seen in these books before. And I wasn't, I'm just not a huge fan of it. I don't know if there's a purpose, but every other character we've met in the books has been introduced as sort of more gradually, not to this kind of, this is what he looked like. This is his character. This is, it felt, 
this chapter felt like we're like both is sitting down to a tabletop D and D game. Yeah, like everybody's yeah. got their character sheets out, and he has this many. This is his armor. This is what how many swords it's, he's got. A knife. It's he's, funny you say that because if you look at my notes, I've got okay. Here's Tempe. He's the DPS character. Yeah. Like <laughs> here's Dayton. He's the he's your tank. Yeah. Right. If that's what it feels like. That's funny. And you just say the that. way he laid them all out, it's like. Here's a bare sketch of their personality and their armor and their weaponry and what they're good at. Yeah, you're right. Just kind of in a list. I mean, I hadn't really put that together. My thoughts on the chapter were it's, it is kind of an exposition dump. It is sort of meeting the crew, but I hadn't really thought about it in the way you put it together. But no, I, I can't see that happening in any other section of the book. So No, I mean, when we met uh, people at the university, it wasn't like, here's Willem. He's... This is his what his personality, and this is what he like. You know, yeah, he's yeah. wearing this, and this is sim- you know, it wasn't a list of people in, and and their basic assets. You know, no, you're right. That's a good point. So for me, that makes these characters right off the bat not seem like real people. Yeah, well, and it's you know, again, I hadn't put it in those terms, but it does sort of seem very temporary to me. Yes. Like yes. A, like like I feel like we're not going to be with this group of people for very long. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, the, the characters don't feel as real and grounded, but but let's go ahead and go through them and, and talk about what we know about them. I ain't got a lot to say about them. And <laughs> I got a little bit to say about the Tinker, and that's it. Right. I mean, so I just kind of made a list of, of what stuck out to me about each yeah, one. Yeah. So we've got Tempe. I'm not going to read the list, I promise. I know that's very boring on a podcast. <laughs> But uh, so Tempe is our first ADEM mercenary that we've met. The, however, we've heard about the ADEM. Yeah. We know that they're fierce fighters, but we kind of get a description of him and basically that he's like weird as fuck. Yeah. He's wearing blood red clothing. It's all belted to his body. So he's he's like Swedish. He doesn't talk. <laughs> weird as fuck. Yes. He's kind of. I happen to know a lot of Swedish people, so I can say that. No, some of your best friends are Swedish. I, I had some very close friends who are Swedish. You didn't say Canadian, so. <laughs> and they're all weird. I mean, good people, don't get me wrong, but fucking weird. Yeah, Tempe does, definitely has a Swedish vibe. Right? He, he, like, I, okay. <laughs> he doesn't make eye contact. He like fidgets a lot. So we don't know what's going on with him. Smells of cabbage. <laughs> No offense to any Swedish people. We're just we're just kidding. You're fucking weird, though. <laughs> so then we have Dayton. Hey, him order do. And like you said, he's the tank. He's basically your. And he, he, I think he even says he's kind of like this the archetype. If you've met a caravan guard, you've met Dayton. Yeah, that's exactly what he says. You know, um, he's kind of a cross between a Mook and a Palooka. I think. No, he's all Palooka. <laughs> you know, you're. You know what? You're right. Dayton is definitely all he's a Palooka. Palooka. Or as Quoth calls him, a swagger cock, which is now <laughs> kind of my favorite How word. did I miss that line? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. That's a good one. Um, and then we have Hespi, who is a... Laurent Brienne. Female mercenary. I was going to say, definitely played by Katie Sackhoff. Hmm. No, Katie Sackhoff is too small. But it's, she's not described as being tall, but as being broad-shouldered. Mm, okay. And kind of muscly. Okay. Short blonde hair. I just don't like Katie Sackhoff. Really? Mm-mm. Oh, more I don't for know me. Why. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I have no reason to. 
She's a lovely woman, but... It's not her. I think it's... Well, we won't get into Battlestar Galactica right now. Yeah, okay. Fair point. I know Starbuck wasn't your favorite character. No. She was your Denna. Yeah. Really did not like Starbuck. Yeah. Katie Sackhoff is wonderful. She's a lovely person. She's a lovely person. Hated that character. <laughs> so, um, and then we've got Martin, who is the, your tracker. It's, um... It's, um... Damn it. He's trying to remember something. I'm drawing a blank. Oh, it's right there. Oh, he's squeezing his eyes shut really tight. Oh, no, damn it. It's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> okay. It's Morgan Freeman in as Red in Shawshank Redemption. He's like a little older, a little wiser. So sick of your shit. Yeah, exactly. That's Martin. So. I could see that. I can definitely see that. So that's what I have for this chapter. These are the new characters starting off with their adventure. They even have a run-in with a tinker. Yeah, so they have a run-in with the tinker, and it goes similar to a lot of other tinker moments. Right. There were two things that I noted. So since you've pointed it out to me, and we've had that in, is, that instance back in the town of Traben where the things that the tinker offered him were things that he needed later— Right. I took a lit, you know, I'm going through and I'm like, okay, what does he turn down? He only turns down one thing, and that is rubbing wax for boots or hmm. leather or things. So I'm going to be curious to see if there's ever a point where that becomes something that would have been helpful. Right. The, uh, the other thing I noticed is he wants to buy a knife. The only guy's only got one knife. It's Ramston Steel. And we talk about Ramston Steel being super sharp, you know, very, very strong but brittle. It'll right. break on you. Quoth keeps talking about his alar being like Ramston steel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, does this mean it's going to be amazing up until that point where he really needs it and then it's going to shatter like glass? Yeah. I think that's some pretty good foreshadowing. So chapter 76 is called Tinder. I have even less to say about this one. Well, what I wrote down for this chapter is... Quill starts a fire and scares the crap out of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote down, Tempe doesn't like to talk and cheese rinds. Uh, I have that whole, I have the whole quote written down. Are yeah, you ready? Yeah. I have to read it because it's ahead. hilarious. So after he starts the fire and he scares everyone and he realizes that he's changed in their eyes and he says, I was one of those. I meddled with dark powers. I summoned demons. I ate the entire little cheese, including the ride. (laughs) (laughs) Evil people. That's why the first time he's talking about the little ride, that's why I found it so funny. I don't know that I would have caught that if you hadn't told me to put a pin in it. It So thank you. Pretty funny. The little ride. Yeah, that's all I had to say about that one. Right. So basically what's important here is that Quoth is thrust into this new situation with this new group of characters. He's got to learn how to try and manage them. He's younger than everyone. He doesn't know what he's doing. And so he's definitely being um, looked down upon, particularly by Dayton, who is the the, squ- the swagger cock, the, yeah. the alpha male of the group. And he's just ragging on him. And Quoth finally stands up. And what he means to be is a little demonstration to be like, hey, I'm not completely useless, back up, Yeah, kind of goes overboard and ends up terrifying everyone, yeah. which is not his intention, but in the end ends up working for yeah, him. Yeah, it's not necessarily a terrible thing. And, and the other part of it, too, is he's he doesn't he clearly does not understand the ADEM. I mean, even we as readers at this point 
know that the ADEM don't like to talk. And I, don't, I forget exactly where we've been given that information, but it's come up multiple times. Right. And Quoth is going in there and he's like, hey, pal. Hey. What you doing? Can you tell me about this Lathani thing? What's you know? up with that? So, <laughs> so red, eh? Red letter? It's going to be hard to kind of hide. What do you think about, you know, like just... <laughs> Not very highly ho neighbor. <laughs> He's grabbing at his tits. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> like, you know, he just doesn't get it. You know, which he'll. I mean, if you if you never met an Adam mercenary, how are you supposed to know? You know, I so, guess. I guess. I guess you don't. You know, he'll he'll figure it out. <laughs> so, chapter seventy seven. Seventy seven. So yeah, this whole arc is just both getting another chance to now be in a formal position of leadership, which I don't think we've ever seen him be in and just trying to manage these group politics that are going on. And we find out in uh, chapter 77 called Penny's Worth that uh, Hespi has a thing for Dayton. I don't even know if I'm saying these right. I haven't did not do any research. Eh. It could be Hesp. Yeah. Or Dayton. If you know for sure, tell us on Let Twitter. Let us know. Yeah. yeah. So we know that she has a thing for him, but he thinks she's above him. And it's a, it's a whole like mini Quoth and Dema dynamic that's, going on. That's exactly what I wrote. And is like, what an idiot. You know? That's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> so, and that's really the that's only. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that's really the only note I have for this is that those two are an analog for Quoth and Dena. It's true. And and I get, we also get to see Quoth very um, adeptly handling Dayton in the situation in the inn, they go into an inn and we see it's an interesting juxtaposition because we see both completely out of his element when the serving girl comes on to him mm-hmm. and he just freezes and he acts like a child acts like a child. And she's like, Oh, sorry. I didn't realize you were that young. Yeah. Yeah. He's completely humiliated, but then he turns around and is able to very deftly manage Dayton who is starting to drunkly, boast that he's out hunting bandits which is the exact opposite yeah 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 of what they're supposed to be doing yeah and we don't know how much damage he's caused if any if any but we see quoth you know rather than go what are you doing you can't talk about what are you what's wrong with you yeah yeah, yeah. he says hey can you talk to sp for me because i you know how women are they like to talk and i'm afraid she's gonna talk about what we're doing out here and he's like oh crap so so he's able to manage that he's not He's showing some leadership skills. So it's an yeah. interesting bit of character growth for him. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we that's ended where our ends. section. Yeah, really kind of an odd place to end it. But you got to draw a line somewhere. 50 pages thereabout. That's what I've been doing. Draw a line. Look around 50 pages. And if it's a cliffhanger, I'll I'll push it a few more. But There you go. All right. So ready for predictions? Predict it up. All right, so my prediction number one, which you've already told me is not going to be is not going to come true, but um, but I said Quoth is not going to kill these bandits, so that's my prediction. He's not going to kill these bandits. Something's going to happen. We'll see. I I didn't say that he wasn't going to kill them. That was not my intention. That's all right to imply that at all. Mm-hmm. It was more that I don't think that hypothetically his character would have a problem with doing that. No, and I I think you're right to point out that. You know, my little Robin Hood analogy is not necessarily what is actually going on here. Right. So not not to like derail your no. predictions, but I just want to clarify that I was not trying to say that he doesn't kill them or he does. Yeah, yeah. More that his character 
in general wouldn't have a problem with it. No, and those and those are good observations. So Lady Lackless's quotes ought I okay. feel fairly confident about that. Yes. Um, quote is going to need rubbing wax at some point and Denna's braids are some sort of signaling device. Those are all really good predictions. So we'll see. You're smart. Thank you. Thank you. Every once in a while. I, if, if you read a book really slowly and then twice and take notes on it, you tend to pick up more yeah. than the average person. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some listener interactions. Right on. We got since we've last talked about it, we've had three podcast ratings on iTunes. Oh, nice. And two Thank rev- you, guys. Two reviews, actually. Okay, so first we got a five-star rating from somebody who didn't leave a review. So we, we don't have any way of knowing who that person is. Thank you, mystery but star that's person. That's right. We want to thank you because you know who you are. You know who you are. And all those ratings, whether they come with a review or not, they still help us. So don't feel like you have to go in there and... Have you rated our podcast yet? Have I done it? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't. Son of a bitch. (laughs) You got to take the cheap points where you can get them, Liz. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so So that was number one. So thank you to whoever did that. You don't have to leave a review. Uh, the ratings are are also very helpful, maybe just as good, because I think the ratings are really what keys iTunes into um, looking for you. Did you know that we were briefly on like the front page of like the art section for the podcast? What? Yeah, for like a couple of hours. That's awesome. And then it, then we were gone, like right on the just front like page. The wind. Just like the wind. Just like in real life. I'm not doing Patrick Swayze again. <laughs> It's too late for that. It's too late. Um, anyway, so we also got a review from Caster Quest. Hey, Caster Quest. So we love them. And also from Kilroy Zero. So Kilroy Zero says, you won't be disappointed. I've really enjoyed listening to this husband and wife duo who are reading The Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss. They make great tinfoil hat connections, and I love their humor and insights. Awesome. So thank you, everybody who left us ratings and reviews. A few other notes here, um, some interactions that we had on Twitter. I uh, want to talk about uh, Theo at the OGB who said, Brayden could equal Lord Peter Death, or I believe it's Deeth, uh, Brayden Whimsy, who was a British uh, kind of fancy lad Lord Detective. Uh, and I feel like that... There might be some parallels. There's some fairly obvious parallels in the character. So, yeah, there, that might have been an inspiration. This is a really... I actually meant to bring this up earlier, if I can derail you yeah, for yeah, a second. Yeah, go ahead. This is a really interesting theory that the name Brayden might be a throwback or some kind of literary reference to this other character um, who was a... Uh, I had to Google because I have not ever read these books. It was a series of mystery novels. But this character was apparently sort of the archetype of the 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 British gentleman detective. So not that Braden is a detective, but the the Lord Braden Whimsy was a like a bored nobleman who goes out and solves crimes because he's got nothing else to do with his life. And yeah, yeah. And this Braden might fit that. He kind of reminds you of that. You know, he's maybe a noble who has too much money and doesn't know what to do with it. So he does this he said he's grown bored of courtly intrigue. Right. So, anyway, that's very interesting. Yeah. No, I thought that was I thought that was a good thing to bring out. And again, not something either one of us would have ever picked up. Nope. Because I rarely 
read mystery novels. Yeah, definitely. But I've heard they're good. I might have to give them a shot. So a couple, um, we've got a note here from Ian, who we talked about in our last episode, if talk was a metaphor. And Ian at Ian Crone says, talk is a metaphor for civilization building. Very astute. Yeah, so something we had not, we had not considered. Uh, Justin D. Clark, or excuse me, Justin Clark, at Justin D. Clark, says, how can a giller be a Graham if Quoth was able to burn Master Hem? That's a really good question. Yeah, I didn't really have an answer for it at all. In, in the conversation, when, um, is it Brandenburg? Bra- whoever the, his uh, tag along Brandor. is. Brandor. Brandor. When um, Hem and Brandor are leaving the room, Brandor asks, did you have a Graham? And Hem's like, no, I didn't have a Graham. You know, so he asks him the question. He's like, no, I wasn't wearing a, a gram. You would assume that he was wearing his giller, though. So we may be wrong about thinking that a giller is a gram. We might be. Don't know. More more to come there. And let's see. Daryl Mansell at Sea Delicious uh, said the marmalade joke cracked him up. We uh, We did not explain it last time, and we didn't need to use it this time. But marmalade is our safe word. <laughs> Right, we didn't have to marmalade at all this podcast. Not yet. It's not over. <laughs> Explain the safe word. So the safe word is when we are rambling on and on or fighting about something that we know ultimately doesn't make sense. Or if we hear ourselves repeating our the same opinion more than once, and we know we're not going to change the other person's mind, but we're saying the same pin- opinion over and over. So if we're just That's sitting like in our half kitchen, the podcast content. I mean, we'll do that for like forty minutes. <laughs> I'll just be like, "But know this," and you'll be like, "But know that," and I'll say, "But know this," and you'll say, "But know that," <laughs> <laughs> until we fall asleep. But we can't do that on the podcast because it's because it's very boring. Boring, boring so, as fuck. If we find ourselves doing that. We'll just say marmalade. Exactly. So so we didn't explain it last time, so good for us to do. I'm glad some folks picked up on that. So Adam at LFC, Adam88185, said, Love that the internet has made an interactive cross-Atlantic book club possible. You've both given me hours of awesome. (laughs) That's amazing. So that was very fun, yeah. He also was the one who pointed out Andrew Scott, who is the actor who plays Moriarty in the Sherlock, yes. the BBC Sherlock, as Elodin. Yes, a good I saw one. that interact. That would be a good one. It's a good one. Also, uh, Blackbird at This Isn't Nathan said, you guys gained a new listener, so thank you, Blackbird. Uh, Patrick Sponicle at Patman23 said, vacation allowed him to catch up on his Name of the Wind reading, so... He's looking forward to getting caught up. So awesome. several weeks from now, Patrick, when you get to this, here's a shout out for you. Uh, Brunhilde Brunhilde at Burn Bridgettes says, after Wise Men's Fear, would you consider doing an episode of Reddit theories? And abs- the answer to that is yes, absolutely. Although I think we will probably wait until after we do Slow Regard. Right. Because I want to really, um, and, and probably the Lightning Tree as well, because I really want to have all that stuff wrapped up because I don't want to go in there and one, be missing uh, perspective and information to really make an informed decision about theories. And two, I don't also don't want to get spoiled for those things. So yeah, we definitely will do that. That's one, a great idea. Yeah. Once we've read everything, I think that's something we've 
talked about maybe even doing a joint podcast on, but we'll we'll get into that later. And then Heart Lady at Heart Lady 2 said, just listen to your podcast for the first time, and I loved it. So chill, fun, and non-pretentious. So I replied, just give it time. We'll find a reason to be pretentious, because that's what we do. Marmalade. <laughs> now, I didn't go in and, and talk about, we had a ton of interactions about things that were Game of Thrones related, but I didn't I didn't want to get into that on this particular podcast. So thank you to everybody who reached out to us, um, whether it was Game of Thrones related or or related to uh, the King Killer Chronicles. We appreciate all the interactions, and it's just been a blast interacting with everybody on Facebook in general or Facebook and Twitter in general. Yeah. All right, fantastic. So anything else that you have? I have one more thing, but I want to give you. A, Kind of a chance to... I don't think I have anything else. Mwah. And now it's time for the surprise? Yeah, I got a little something. So we're going to play a little game. Oh, my God. So now this is a bit that I completely stole from... from um, Wait, wait, don't tell me. But I've written some limericks... Oh, Lord. ...about the King Killer Chronicles. And so I'm going to give you the limerick... But the last rhyme, the final rhyme, is omitted. And I need you to guess oh, the final rhyme. Jesus, God, this is going to be brutal. Okay. <laughs> You're going to no, put me on the spot. No, no, it'll be a fun one. I'll give you an easy one to start out with. <sighs> all right. You this ready? It's going to be that two-man D&D game all over again. No, no, no. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Are you ready? I, as I'll ever be. All right. Limerick the First. To mortal eyes we never appear, and never to a simple Elyr. If we destroy your hood, it was for the greater good. You can always trust. The Amir. Yay! Oh, God. It's going to make me sweat. <laughs> Give me five. Good job. Good job. All right, so you got the concept now. Okay, yes. You got the concept. Yes, okay. 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 All right, so... That was a good limerick, by the way. Thank you. All right. Limerick the second. I saw Denna eating some fruit. I came timid in my pursuit. But the story gets old and my affections turn cold, for I'm really in love with my... Loot. Yes. <laughs> That's another good limerick. You missed your calling. Thank you, thank you. All right, Limerick the Third. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. I've got talents by the bevy. My sympathy is like a burst levy. Devi. Sorry. Damn you. Let me get I'm it sorry. out. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you better have my money. <laughs> Don't even think to do nothing funny. You best not fuck with Debbie. <laughs> Don't you be stepping on my limericks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, last one. Limerick the fourth. Limerick the final. You ready? Yes. Okay. Reading some characters can be a chore. There's a certain female that makes me snore. Quoth does a stupid thing to go and find her ring. We all know Denna is a... We already used boar. I'll read it again. It's whore. Chore. Whore? I don't know. 
goodness, woman, reading some characters can be a chore. Okay. There's a certain female that makes me snore. Okay. Quoth does a stupid thing to find her ring. We all know Denna is a... Is a bore. Good job. Good job. Because I was trying to bait you into calling her whore, and then I was going to be like... Elizabeth. And you you did. That's exactly how it played out. I fell into your trap. <laughs> no, you didn't. You were like, but you already used boar. You were looking for a way around it. You did fine. You did fine. So that was it. Lovely. Ending with limericks. Fantastic. <laughs> Something different. You got to keep people guessing. All right. So next week, it's Into the Woods with Tempe, Dayton, Hespi, Martin, and Quoth, our fearless leader. Yes, and once again, it's chapters 78 through 86. Yes, and uh, yeah, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, leave us a review on iTunes. Really, the the one thing, if you really want to help us out, is tell somebody about us. One of the things I really lo- would love to see people do is to retweet the little SoundCloud little snippets that we come out with because we we do like a 30 second 45 second sort of highlight of hey here's something that was funny and i think it's you're much more likely to get somebody to listen to a 30 second soundcloud clip than you are to get somebody to listen to a two-hour long podcast if they don't really know you know what they're in for so so that would be nice and then again just tell people you can sorry go ahead I was going to say, where can they find us? Oh, they can find us on our website at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. Also on Twitter at the D and D podcast. That's D is in David N is in Nancy D is in David. And on Twitter, excuse me, on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Boom. That's right. Good night, y'all. Good night. <laughs>